Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Hidden identities and gender wars, race and belonging, Shakespeare's Othello holds out a startling mirror to the turbulent times we live in now. Pinned against a backdrop of rising populism, xenophobia and deepening tensions, we explore how a 400-year-old play casts a spotlight on contemporary Britain. Brought back to the stage for a second year by English Touring Theatre in a co-production with Oxford Playhouse and Shakespeare at the Tobacco Factory, this provocative version of the play shows Othello as a secret Muslim trying to assimilate into a white Christian world. I'm journalist Ramona Ali, host of this podcast for The Othello Project, now in its second series. The Othello Project brings artists, journalists and local voices together to critically and creatively respond to the Bard's controversial play. Our special reporter, Aina J. Khan, follows the play as it tours across England and meets with young activists, community workers and residents to hear how they connect with its prescient themes. And people keep saying, listen, you shouldn't be too political. But I haven't got the privilege of not being political. Like, I'm a black Muslim immigrant. I think this idea of Britishness is really interesting because there isn't really a definition of what it means to be British. And as a result of that, I feel like it makes a lot of people feel like they don't belong. It's crazy because it's as if Shakespeare, he's some kind of magician because every single theme that's represented in Shakespeare's Othello is actually really relevant right now. Throughout this series, we will journey through some of England's most fascinating and diverse areas to discuss the meaning and complexities of identity, race, class, masculinity, gender and belonging. In this episode, we begin by revisiting English touring theatre's Othello. Aina and I travel to Oldham to catch the play on tour. I speak with Richard Twyman, its artistic director. We hear from members of the Othello cast as they get under the skin of their characters. And to conclude, Professor Akil Ahmed, media consultant and former head of religion at the BBC and Channel 4, shares his reflections on what being a Muslim in Britain means for him. Welcome to episode one, The Return of the Moor. I'm here in Oldham in the Coliseum Theatre and there is a real buzz and excitement because we're about to watch Othello, the Moor of Venice. I'm very excited and I'm not alone. I'm here with Aina Khan, she's a journalist. Uh, are you excited, Aina? Yeah, so I feel like I'm about to watch a Shakespearean gladiator fight on stage. So really, really excited to see all the blood and gore. <laughs> well, there definitely will be that and lots of drama. So Aina, ready to go through? Yeah, let's go. Taken much unkindly that thou, Yago, who hast had my purse as if the strings were thine, shouldst know of this. But you'll not hear me. If ever I did 
dream of such a matter abhor me. Thou told me thy did hold the more in thy ears. Yeah, I mean, Othello for me is sort of one of Shakespeare's most sort of contemporary plays. It really speaks to the present moment we're living in, I think. My name is Richard Twyman. I'm the artistic director of English Touring Theatre. In a nutshell, it's a play which traces the arc of, of, of a great love of harmony and beauty that's undermined by some really dangerous and dark forces in society and ends up in, in, in chaos and, and pain, really. Essentially, it looks at um, Othello, who in, in Venetian society is considered to be an outsider and is constantly made aware of his difference by that society, suffers all kinds of forms of prejudice and racism, and none more so than the character of Iago, who sets out to destroy Othello's great love with Desdemona and um, starts to sort of corrupt, turn Othello in on himself till he believes all the lies that Iago's given him and then and then lacks them. Why did you take this approach of Othello being the secret Muslim? I, I mean, I think it comes back to why you're doing Shakespeare today. And I think if you're holding it up as some kind of historical record, then you're just you're just in the wrong job. It's it's not what, what it's what it's there for. And I suppose in a way we felt we were breaking new ground because there hasn't been a production as far as I know in this country that has um, taken this as a, as an idea, as a thesis and gone, what if Othello um, was secretly practising Muslim? I was incredibly nervous going into it and really without the help of some really amazing people, but one in particular really stands out, um, Abdul Rahman Malik. And he really sort of held my hand. I mean, he was actually the first person uh, that I came to and I said, listen, I've been reading the play again um, because there's a theatre in Bristol that wants me to do a production of it. And the word that's really standing out to me is more. Um, Shakespeare calls him that um, almost 50, 60 times in the play. We really missed a trick, actually, I realise now, is we should have called it its full title, which is Othello, More of Venice. So it's even in the title. And I was like, what, what was the original meaning of this word more? For us, it was a kind of, it was a step of imagination rather than a leap of imagination to look at Othello's identity as a secretly practicing Muslim in, in Venetian society. Richard, you're, you're not a Muslim. I mean, well, you don't identify as one. You're, you're not black. And yet you clearly have insight here. What helped you see and feel this play from these different perspectives? I'd seen many, many versions of the play. And in every version of the play that I'd seen, I'd always known that everyone had gone into it with the best of intentions. And somehow the play, like one of those snakes that eats itself, had somehow ended up coming back and twisting. And that actually a lot of the racist forces that were trying to be exposed in society, somehow those productions, I felt, were reinforcing some of those ideas. So I went into this, I suppose, really with my eyes open about how toxic and how dangerous a player is and this amazing essays written by some really extraordinary people. And I had a long, long chat with a huge number of my black friends about it as a play. Really, I saw my job more as a facilitator than anything else in this. So you're and almost like the midwife kind of delivering these experiences. Really, and, yeah. yeah. And, and and hopefully nothing nothing more than that, but something that maybe can begin a conversation that can initiate that stuff. I, I wonder why that is, why we have been deprived of that heritage of knowledge and of history with, with Anglo-Muslim relations, really. Yes. I mean, world events sometimes play into your hands as well in a really sort of coincidental way. And as we were rehearsing the play, Trump 
enacted his travel ban. His travel ban, ban on Muslims on in Muslims, particular. His yes. Muslim travel ban, as yeah, as it became known. And that really, you know, the, the, the contemporary parallels were absolutely clear, I think, to then everyone seeing the production. So it is one of those plays, I think, is, is really often used um, as a lens to, to look at a lot of the issues in society today. And really, I think any good director is responding to what the actors are doing in the room and, and what those people are bringing. And this production was always about what, the personal stories that the actors are bringing to it and how can we use those to shape these performances. I'm now joined by four members of the cast who have kindly stepped off stage to speak with me. We have Victor Oshin, who plays Othello, Kelly Price, who plays Amelia, Philip Correa, who plays Cassio, and James Ellis, who plays the Duke of Venice. I wanted to start off by asking you, how would you describe your character, just using three or four buzzwords? I'm going to come first to you, Victor, who plays Othello. He is a leader, he is emotional, and he is very loving. I feel like I've smashed it. (laughs) (laughs) And Kelly, who plays Amelia... I like to think of her as a strong female force in the play. She's all sorts of things, but she's very loyal and loving and caring, and she has suffered, but there's a lot lot more going on with her as well. Phil, who plays Cassio? I would say Cassio is uh, conflicted. I think he's quite alienated in his environment. Um, he's very entitled and privileged. That's a, those are, these are great buzzwords. And, and our James, who plays the Duke... I would say that the Duke is a figurehead. He is pragmatic. He's a problem solver. And he's also awkward, (laughs) actually, as it turns out. Okay, so, Victor, no one would actually guess that this is your stage debut. Uh, The identity of the Moor as a Muslim is really pronounced. And in a time when Muslims are kind of perceived um, as the outsider, as the threat, how does it feel playing Othello in this kind of climate? So, it's very, as people said, it's very poignant and visceral. Uh, Obviously, you don't take it away from, from the space, but you do have... The, the moments, especially when the Duke, um, they're all around me, you can really feel the, the pressure within the Senate scene, Act 4, 1, Scene 3. It's very, you know, I feel it in my bones when they're all around me. And, and, and yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's special moments, but beautiful at the same time. Well, we've, we've mentioned Act 1, uh, where the Duke appears. There was actually a line uh, that you said in the play that made me shudder a bit, and also it felt ambiguous. It was the one about, you know, your, your son-in-law is far more fair than black, and people in the audience were kind of, like, scoffing. They were like, oh. you know, how have our understandings of, of that sentence changed? It's a good question. It does have different connotations. I think that's the Duke's parting shot, actually, and he, he sort of disappears after that. I think the lines are, if virtue no delighted beauty lack, your son-in-law is far more fair than black. So the first line is kind of, you know, typical power structure obfuscation. And the second line is, is his way of saying, he's kind of a good guy and we need him. But in doing so, he slanders his race. And obviously there are plays on words there, you know, the fair, not just meaning fair in colour, but 
beautiful and black meaning you know sort of being dark but also evil or you know morally corrupt how does it feel to deliver that line today it always gets a reaction that line and it does feel slightly awkward to deliver but i'm i'm kind of pleased that it gets a reaction i'd be more worried if it didn't because the sort of unwitting racism is overt so i would find it very very odd if it didn't cause some sort of ripple in the crowd and nearly every night it either gets a laugh at the sort of brazenness of that attitude or a slightly uncomfortable ripple you can just feel it so it feels to answer the question it feels awkward to deliver it and, and we'll never know, unfortunately. I, I wonder how that line would have gone down 400 years ago. You know, you never know whether there would have just been a mass of sort of nodding heads or that uncomfortable ripple. But I like to think that things have moved on slightly, in some ways at least, but in others not. But it, it, there is an uncomfortable reaction to it nearly every night, and I think that's a positive thing. And now I just want to get a sense of your experiences of Othello. Have you had any previous ones before this production? And also, how do you feel about this particular production? Yeah, I've seen productions of it, um, very successful ones. I think I'm coming at this completely afresh. This production of it, particularly directed by Richard Twyman, is so, so fresh and so relevant and so vital that it, it feels like it almost didn't know the play before. And we've really been revisiting it and reimagining it for today's audience um, and especially touring it around the country we've covered such a wide demographic and when we do the uh, post-show talks it's so apparent that we really we really are uh, sort of changing people's minds hopefully a little bit and holding that mirror up because it's so relevant at the moment everything that we're covering in in the play all the all the big themes I'm watching on the news daily yeah, it sounds, it really resonated with me. It resonated with the with the audience members as well in a very different way. I have seen it performed before, but, but never in this way. So has there been a difference in responses from the audience in, in, in each city? I think the, um, the experiences of young people coming to see the play has been the most moving and most interesting part of the production for me. Because it's on the syllabus this year, we tend to get a huge amount of young people coming to this play much more than any tour I've done before and I think it brings a kind of energy and uh, a, a sort of joyousness to proceedings which is fantastic but also talking to the kids afterwards I find fascinating the use terms we were speaking before recording about you know toxic masculinity and things that they're really engaged with I went to teach or help lead workshops in Doncaster and the kids there were so engaged by what's happening in America, particularly interestingly about Trump, um, about his treatment of women and his treatment of uh, ethnic minorities and, and, and races that are not his. Um, and they, they respond to that in real life from the news and, and, and that was what they were bringing to the play. And I, I think that's really, that's really engaging for us and really exciting. So for me in doing the play, and for taking this approach to the play, 
um, it was absolutely essential that that, that that in no way is the end of a conversation. So what we've tried to do around it is in all the cities we've been going to is we've been engaging in local artists and we've been asking people to use the play as a jumping off point for new ideas, for new narratives, for new stories, for creation of other works of art, for spoken word poetry, for short plays, for artistic responses, for, for communities coming together, for education workshops, all kinds of things. And I suppose what's exciting to me is someone else will pick up this play and hope Hopefully in the future it, it will you know it will be a British Muslim director who will pick up this play and find something totally different in it actually in a much probably more nuanced and detailed and sensitive portrayal. We just felt like um, we were just starting a conversation about what the play could be, I suppose. Speaking to Richard and the cast, there were simply too many great insights to squeeze into just one episode, so we're going to be hearing from them again throughout the series. Wow, so we've just come out of the matinee performance. The actors have gone off to wash off the blood, the sweat, the tears, literally, for the next performance. But Aina, what a play. I mean, what are your hot, off-the-press reactions to it? You know what, this is actually, admittedly, the second time I've seen the play, but it's like I never saw it, honestly. It's um, exactly the same reaction. It's just such a, a powerful, kind of visceral reaction that I get every time I see it. Well, I physically did weep some tears right at the end. I was just really overwhelmed. I found it really intense and really unsettling and disturbing in so many places. So one of the things that gave me like real goosebumps and also sent shivers down my spine was that opening scene where Othello rolls out the prayer mat which is something is really really personal for for us as muslims where like i i roll it out every day and you seeing that in a shakespearean play in the context of that it was hugely powerful but also because you know what's going to happen pretty disturbing absolutely i think the idea that something that i do uh, in my bedroom in my grandmother's home and this idea of rolling out a prayer mat this musky smelling prayer mat as you said, it's such a personal thing for every Muslim to do when we communicate with God. This is what we do. It's an act of humility, this idea that, you know, we prostrate on the floor. Um, and to see Othello do that, that was actually really special. Just going back to the beginning of the play, the very first line is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the name of God, the most gracious, the most merciful. That is like one of the most seminal invocations for Muslims, as any Muslim would know. It absolutely stayed true to the essence of a Shakespearean play, but that first line was so subversive. I was like, wow, it was such a simple injection to add to the play that didn't really kind of go in a tangent and, you know, kind of create scenes that didn't exist in the play. But that first line for me was really kind of an indicator that actually, yeah, this is, there is a, I suppose there's a place for someone like you on a stage like this, um, just with that first invocation. So I studied Othello when I was at school. I'm not going to say how many years ago. So watching it now, it's actually a really different take on it. I, I feel like I'm engaging very differently with the play many years later. Because when I read it at school, the Muslim bit, it, it did speak to me, but not as much as this production has spoken to me now. I had no indication that he was Muslim. So for me, it was a complete utter surprise to see a production like this by the English Touring Theatre and discover that actually... The Moor isn't just um, a reference to Othello's race, it's actually a reference to his religious background as well, because as we know, the Moor had a specific historical context. It was used to refer to people who originated from Mauritania and North Africa. I feel like Shakespeare was a man beyond his time. He was a, 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 almost like a prophet, 
Um, because many of, no, in many ways, what he looks at, isn't it weird? We're talking about all these kind of religious analogies and stuff, and I've just described Shakespeare as some kind of prophet, but really he was, because what he looked at were so many titanic themes, like race and class and gender. You could make an entire play looking at just one of those themes, and yet he managed to bottle all of these into this kind of theatric Pandora's box and allow the audience to really sit there and soak all of these in and think, bloody hell, there's a lot wrong with our society right now. And so that kind of mirror image for me is also really kind of prescient as well to say that actually as progressive as our societies are, look at the roots from which they came from and actually there are these undercurrents that are still festering, these issues that are still there that do rear their ugly heads up. And yes, exactly. And I suppose it's also about the human journey, the human experience, which is all of these things. It's all about belonging. It's about society. It's about violence. It's about love. It's about revenge. So, And all these things are really packed into the play and every single line that comes out of it is just fully loaded. And it's just about unpacking that, and, and it always resonates with any audience that it actually speaks to. And, you know, you've got a really busy schedule ahead of you. Where is the road taking you, and what do you hope to achieve? We're taking Shakespeare out of the globe, where it's traditionally been seen, and off to kind of cities in the north. I'm really intrigued to actually see what it is that local audiences make of the play when they view it through their own kind of localised lenses because I feel like every time Shakespeare is analysed it's always through a southern-centric lens and it'll be interesting to take it off to communities that aren't usually exposed to texts like Shakespeare to theatre like Shakespeare and see what it is that they make of all these themes that are explored. Throughout this series we're going to bring you short reflections from Muslim writers, journalists, playwrights and creatives from across Britain. They'll be considering what this production of Othello and its pressing themes means to them. And what better way to start us off than to hear from Professor and former Head of Religion and Ethics at the BBC and Channel 4, Akhil Ahmed. Growing up in the 70s and 80s, the only Muslims I could look up to were two sporting stars, Imran Khan and Muhammad Ali. There were no newsreaders, mayors of London or pop stars to point to and say, they are like me or I want to be like them. Today, Muslims are everywhere and I would say, so they should be. In Britain, they were born and raised here. Some came here to follow their dreams. Others are here to be part of something bigger. As a sports lover, football has been one of my greatest passions. I look at the number of Muslim footballers in the Premier League today and remember how different things were when I was a lad. When I was wading through muddy football pitches in Bolton and then London in my teenage and student years, I was often the only Asian in the team. Back then, the thought of people moving on from casual racism to adulation of a Muslim player seemed so far-fetched, I would never have believed it. Today, teams like Arsenal, Liverpool and Chelsea have superstars like Mohamed Salah, Maza Ozil and N'Golo Kante, who are not only at the top of their game, but are also not shy to celebrate their faith publicly. As almost stealth-like agents of change, they show that there is a different type of Muslim, to the one we are usually delivered in the media and in dramas. We now see young non-Muslim kids mimicking Salah, prostrating after he scores a goal. We see videos of Sadio Mane cleaning his local mosque washroom, and Golo Kante on PlayStation at the home of some people he randomly met in the mosque. Their humility is legendary. I could only dream of belonging to something this cool when navigating my school and university days. I swung from far-left politics to being a little mod with my parker to fit in with my non-Muslim mates. What's this got to do with a fellow? 
Well, for me, it's what it says about our times today. A fellow, too, tried to fit in. And ultimately, you could argue, he wasn't authentic enough to pull off his assimilated identity. I've navigated my own identity journey, and football has played a big part in helping me through the minefield. That's why I'm excited about the Mo Salahs of this world. They make it easy for a young Muslim to feel cool and relevant. Just imagine what may come next. A British-born Muslim football superstar. And just imagine what would happen if they scored the winning goal for England in a World Cup final. OK, I may be getting ahead of myself, but that's what identity and searching for any kind of authentic role model can do to you. From a fellow to Mo Salah, the journey of identity is extremely personal. And when it gets authentic, and better still, mainstream, then it can only help make things better. You've been listening to The Othello Project, an initiative by English Touring Theatre, which is generously supported by Amul, a programme of the Said Foundation. My thanks to all the voices in this episode, Richard Twyman, the director of English Touring Theatre, the brilliant cast members of Othello, Akhil Ahmed and his compelling reflection, and of course our exceptional reporter, Aina J. Khan. And special thanks to executive producer and creative advisor to The Othello Project, Abdurrahman Malik. I've been your host, Ramona Ali. Tune in next time to hear about the perennial theme of belonging with all its struggles, visions and fault lines. This is the second series of the Othello Project podcast. If you missed our first series, which explored the process and passion that drove the development of this unique production, you can catch up at soundcloud.com forward slash English Touring Theatre. Until then, thank you for joining us. This series is produced by Tom Glasser.